Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna, continuing our sermon series through the book of Acts. Hans-Georg Hoprich will talk about God's extraordinary power. Seeing how God has changed the life of people, we will also see how God changed the people in Ephesus. How can we see that God's power to change was successful and in what way did the church in Ephesus grow? Join us and see what we need to be careful about to experience God's changing power. Well, eventually summer has come and, uh, well, uh, God's promises, they stay forever. Uh, now, I'm aware as we talk about uh, acts, we need to talk about God's power, don't we? That's uh, a pretty important uh, uh, subject um, because it's, after all, the power of God that has changed uh, our lives and it has made our lives new. Um, it's so attractive for people to see changed lives. It's the power of God um, in men. And uh, as we go through the uh, book of Acts, this is a considerable, a very important subject, God's extra ordinary power. And we need to look into this uh, very important um, subject, uh, very important because it shows uh, that our God is a living God. Um, consider God's power. Look at it as it is and as it was with a wave of his hand, he can carve out canyons, shift the tides, or fling a million stars into, the, into a place. He can topple mountain or slice and atom and rearrange the seasons and redesign a snow flake. Isn't that amazing? This is our God. That's what he is able to do and even more things than we can ever beyond we can imagine. None of these though can match the mysterious and wandering display of his power. You know what? That is change. He can take a life chained in the deepest darkness and set it free to flourish in the liberty of light. Take a heart that was nearly dead with despair and revive it with the strong beat of hope. Recently, I read a story of a young woman teetering dangerously close to suicide dark age. She experienced such power of God one Sunday in church. Where else? She then later wrote, I came and sat at church huddled in despair and hope. 
The despair deep, devastating the hope illiterary. I agonized over every word and every aspect of my life story, trying to make it credible to myself, giving it the kind of interpretation that will keep um, alive a hope. I just wanted someone, that's what that lady wrote, to know that when I left, I was different, indeed a new person. All this week I have been slowly discarding the illusion, challenging some assumptions, trying out new thoughts and ways of of behaving, based not only on what I heard on Sunday, but also on the stuff in the Bible. I'm delighted in the possibility of being remade. I came to church with a gun to kill myself, and also with a suicide note. From now on, I will come only with my Bible. The circumstances are not vastly, horribly, wonderfully changed, but I am. What an amazing story. I hope none of you have come with a gun today. And those that are listening somewhere in the world, they don't sit with a gun. That lady came with a gun to commit suicide. Well, the story of this young woman could have come straight out of Acts, actually. Indeed, the book of Acts is essentially rarely a record of one life changed by the other. Peter, the deserter, became Peter, the evangelist. James, the traditionalist Jew, became James, the welcome of the Gentiles. And, of course, if you talk about Acts, you need to talk about Saul, the church destroyer, the persecutor. He killed that many people. He became a church planter. Can you imagine a, a bigger difference? Throughout Acts, God changed people and brought new life to them and through them to the entire continent. We wouldn't be here today if that wouldn't have happened. The continent where we will be standing with the Apostle Paul in, in Asia Minor, in the dark and desperate city today of Ephesus. And here we will consider God's power of change, a power no less extraordinary now than it was in the first Century. Let us look and make some uh, initial uh, observations. As we enter the ancient yet 
ageless city I've been in in Ephesus many, many years ago. It's amazing to see all these old buildings that are described actually in Acts. You see them still there in place. We would do well to keep in mind three basic um, specifics or characteristics of human nature, which will help prepare us for the people and situations we will be meeting. Now, what is said about people in general, the Bible makes it very plain, makes it very clear who we are in, in relationship with the living God. First, we are and I don't know whether you agree, I am maybe too straightforward. Dear uh, uh, people of God, we are sinful and stubborn. I can see some people not. Some people are in doubt. They look at me. Well, I need to say so. Not only because I'm German... And as you know, German people are quite outspoken and loud and I don't know what. Um, but that's how am I am. Stubborn. You may not be stubborn. You may be soft. Maybe God has changed you and this is why you are a different guy, a, a different brother or a sister rooted in the depravity and came with Adam at the fall, this, this condition is often modified through humanism, but never really changed. Never. Second, we are attracted by attached to things. You know, things that we can see attractive. A nice car... Nice things that look outwardly perfect, great. The root of this condition is our natural insecurity, which tries to find relief in the, uh, in materialism. We are attracted by and attached to things. And thirdly, we are ignorant and unaware of the enemy. Curiosity often opens our ears to the siren song of supernaturalism. But the song is indeed deceptive. It leads us to destruction, to the um, of the life-giving change we had hoped to find. Each of these specifics or characteristics will unfold in our scripture passage of this morning as will God's extraordinary power to overcome them, changing people, changing indeed a, a whole city, a big city, an influential city, it keeps our mouth open, you know, what God can do. And he's the same. He has not changed. This is why we believe it. 
in London as our dear brother and sister comes from in, in Nigeria, in Ghana, in Austria, in our beloved country, um, and many other uh, places uh, around the world. Our God is a powerful God. Let's ponder on the city of uh, Ephesus. Um, in many respect, the Ephesian people reflected the uh, city's personality. Known as the uh, treasure house of Asia, Ephesus was the region's capital and was situated at the mouth of the Caesta River. In its heyday, it was the garden of Asia's um, hinterland with ships from all around the world docking at its seaport. This setting contributed even more as a city pagan religious character. And as pointed out in, in uh, Acts um, 1935, Ephesus was famous as the guardian of the temple of Artemis. In classical mythology, Artemis, whom the Romans called Diana, was a virgin huntress. But in Ephesus, um, she had somehow become identified with an um, Asian uh, fertility goddess. Ephesus guarded with immense pride. You know, they just guarded it and they did everything to look at this. They guarded it with immense pride, both their her grotesque many-breasted image and the magnificent temple which housed it. This um, structure had more than 100 uh, Lonic pillars, each 20 meter high, an incredible building, and supporting a white marble roof. Being four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens, and adorned by many beautiful paintings and sculptors, it was regarded as one of the seven wonders in the world, and superstitious worship degenerated into unrestrained immorality and debased pagan rituals, and into the sinful materialistic bastion of Satan himself came the Apostle Paul. Wow! Can you imagine the kind of Fights that were going on even maybe in his life. Paul, what did he? My brothers and sisters, what was his power against that powerful situation in Ephesus? Paul was preaching the simple but powerful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That was his answer to the situation in Ephesus. Indeed, there were um, some signs of success. 
In many ways, Paul's ministry proposed here, and we, we see several signs of that success in that passage we are about to enter, that is Acts chapter 19. First, the work had strong and capable leadership. That is how it started. And oftentimes in, in our situation, it's very similar. There is a strong leadership. Paul could speak as few others in his day. He could debate things back and forth. Um, though intelligent and scholarly, he was still able to explain God's glorious truth in Greek. So when he taught in the, in a synagogue during his first three months there, he spoke effectively. People were eager to listen to him what he had to say. It was very, very interesting. He adopted the situation in Ephesus. He knew what he was doing. He, he didn't just jump in and jump out, but he was living with the people. So Acts 19, 8 says boldly. What did he do? You know, and, and I like that. Boldly reasoning and persuading them about what? The kingdom of God. He was, you know, just, it, it, it came and went back and, you know, there wasn't, um, uh, he was reasoning about things he was convicted about in his heart. Boldly. He didn't feel rejected. He was bold to present the people with he was convicted about, convinced about. And I love that boldly reasoning. That's, uh, apart from that, a, a very Jewish kind of way, reasoning, you know, debating back and forth. And I love that without a fight. You know, but you reason, you know, you talk forth and back and the other person is also open to reason with you. Isn't it amazing? I love it. It's great reasoning. So the first um, was the work had strong and capable leadership. Secondly, there was... Another sign of success, the, 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 the vast popularity. After leaving the synagogue, Paul spent the next two years expanding his work. And Acts 19.10 in our passage this morning says so, that all who lived in Asia, what an incredible power, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word, what sort of word they heard, of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. That's Acts 19.10. And um, thirdly, there was another sign of the success, the presence, and I guess our African brothers and sisters, they like that. Um, the presence of divine miracle. 
How about uh, our African brothers? You like that, don't you? I like it as well. I'm half uh, African anyway, as you know. Uh, my heart is lost in West Africa. We are about to leave for South Africa. So Africa is, you know, constantly on my mind. And I, I like that. The presence of divine miracles to validate and support his apostles' efforts. Acts 19 um, 11 supports that in saying God. God was performing extraordinary. This is where I came from in preparation. Extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Now I know, of course, there's some kind of uh, theology that uh, puts it down. You know, it has happened in the time of of Acts, but it will never happen today. I know that. With irrefutable evidence, God made the power of his presence known. People saw it with both of their eyes. Who is that God? And finally, there was a rapid growth of the movement of the Christians. This signifies the success of the preaching of Paul um, very definite. As Luke records in Acts 19.20, he says, The word, wow, I like that, the word of the Lord was what? What did the word of the Lord do? Um, the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Paul's efforts gleamed with success, but let us not think that they were, they were one without hardship. I think we would like to see that, you know. Glamour, effective, power. We, we just like to see that happening all the time because we are so affected by what we see. Our eyes, they just attract what we see. But let me tell you, beneath the shiny exterior of rapid growth and, and, and amazing miracles, the ministry was Encountering incredible struggles and pressures. That goes with it. And I'm sorry to say so because we don't like that. But it, it's only through that that God's glory shines through. It makes it a perspective. It becomes clear only there. Because in the situation you see the power encounter we experience so often, even when we were in Papua New Guinea, the power, the black power beneath, and the power, the changing power of God. You know, they were confronting each other, but the power of God was the one that won the battle. Praise the Lord. The sources of these 
precious Paul went through where people whose unredeemed nature was like ours. We've described it already. You know, they were not changed, so they needed to be like that. Sinful, attracted to things, and ignorant to the enemy. Can you see that? They tried to restrict the work of the Lord and made the ministry growth costly. In other words, expensive, not cheap. We like to have cheap battles, you know, where we say, well, we win the battle anyway. But it's costly. It's expensive. It's dear. As time went by, the excitement of expansion became a grueling grind of growth because of three opposing forces. There was um, fleshly resistance. We could see um, demonic involvement and we could see also some worldly attachment. Yet Paul and his co-workers responded in a way that released God's extraordinary power to change life anyway, as we see in the following verses. Certainly, as we can see, and, and I hope you read um, the passage, um, uh, we can see fleshly resistance. Luke writes in verse 8, that Paul taught in the synagogue only three months. Why not longer? The opportunities were there, but only three months. And Acts 19, um, uh, verse 9, gives us the reason. Acts 19 says, But when some becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. During these three months, Paul perceived angry walls building up around the hearts and people in the synagogue. The imperfect tenses of the word hardened and and as we just read, disobedient imply um, continuing process. They were up uh, putting their head against the wall, you know, as it were, constantly doing these things. When in their disbelief they began openly blasting against the gospel, and I like that, you know, but it's so hard because it's, Spiritual, what Paul did, Paul reacted wisely. It was his sheer wisdom that came through his reaction. Paul just left. He just left. Can you imagine? He could have been here and fighting here and there, but he just left. Taking his group of followers, he began teaching instead in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. 
an ancient manuscript of Acts specified that there here Paul taught from the fifth hour to the tenth hour. He was constantly teaching and I like that, you know. He was hardworking. I think he may have been German though. Sorry. Um, in other words, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. While Ephesian business closed for a midday break, and we see that up to until today, he was teaching. Paul did not sleep during the daytime. He was a hardworking guy. Until 11 a.m. he would work in his tent-making business, and Tyrannus would give his lectures. Um, at 11 p.m. sharp, of course he was, uh, sorry, um, at 11 sharp. Uh, I think he wasn't possibly African in that way, but sharp, you know, 11 sharp, Tyrannus would go to rest and Paul would exchange leather work for lecture work. Continuing five hours teaching and stopping only sharp, sharp, four o'clock p.m. when work was resumed in the city. So he used the situation as it were, you know. Uh, he wasn't blank about it, but he used the situation as it were, and he was teaching hour after hour and hour. No wonder, you know, at another uh, situation, you, you know, one guy was sitting at, um, uh, at, the do uh, at the window, and uh, he fall asleep and drop down, you know. <laughs> Can you imagine? You know, teaching, I mean, it's a hard job to teach, but it's also a hard job to listen to, isn't it? I can see sometimes even here at Grace Church that some people, you know, get a heavy um, head and, and, you know, get a, a good sleep. I mean, um, the sleep during preaching is the best sleep anyway. So, um, well, this is uh, Paul. Um, assuming that the apostle kept one day in seven of um, worship and rest, he will have given a daily five hours lection six days a week for two years, which makes up. Can you imagine? That's, that's a pretty hard Bible uh, school, isn't it? Three thousand one hundred and twenty hours of Bear teaching. What do you reckon? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you're a, le a lecture guy, you know, sitting at the university. I don't know how many hours, how many thousands of hours you enjoy teaching about medical stuff. 3,120 hours constant teaching, you know. On and on and on and on. Wow. Wow. Leaving the synagogue was the best move Paul could have ever made. <laughs> There he had faced nothing but fleshly resistance, but at the school of Tyrannus, hearts were soft, receptive, and opportunities, opportunities to preach were much greater. So what a great move he made. Wisdom shines through that kind of, of move. And the Lord honored 
this move, empowering him with miraculous um, abilities that we read of in Acts 19, 12. Wow, I mean, if that would perform today here at Grace Church, I don't know, uh, Theo, what would you think? You know, I could pull out my handkerchief, uh, an apron or so, and, uh, you know, that's what it says here. Um, handkerchiefs and aprons act. You can read it. I mean, you can oppose me, but that's what the Bible says. So uh, whatever you oppose, read the Bible. You know, that's what the Bible says. Acts 19, 12, handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the deceased left them and the evil sp uh, spirits went out. Wow. This all happened. It makes my mouth water, really. The incredible power of God. And he does things we may not accept today. I mean, if we would present some handkerchiefs in Nigeria or in Ghana or so, people, well, they would accept. But in many other parts in the world, they would say, you know, what in the world do you perform here, you know? This is strange. David, what do you reckon? Yeah, you have a good smile. And I have it as well, you know. These aprons and handkerchiefs literally sweat bands where things Paul used as he worked at his tent making. They were ordinary items, not like the sacred charms or prayer cloths uh, used by some today who promise similar uh, healings. Yet God adopted them. You know, is he, isn't he sovereign? Let me ask that question, you know. I want to really, I think we need to think about it. Because we, you know, we are curious, you know, what these things can happen. They happened. They happened. I'm sorry, but they happened. It's God's sovereignty. We need to remind our constantly, this is our God. He's not restricted to human thinking. God adopted them as his tools. I'm sorry, but that's what he did. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, seeing the miracles and covering the apostles' influence was another group who attempted to restrict the gospel. Indeed, we can see some demonic involvement. As Acts 19, 13 um, to 14 says, some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And seven sons of the Siva, Jesus, um, chief priest, were doing this. These sons of uh, Sceva were not from God. They put, just wanted a piece of the action. You know, just wanted to pull out something, you know, that, that was so attractive. They bypassed 
the Lord's authentic power and imitated Paul's methods with their eyes firmly focused on popularity. Now I am the guy. You know, all have to look to me. You know, I've got a big name. And that happens far too often. Popularity and money. Success bound by money. You know, I've got a palace. I'm the pastor of that palace. But even the demons knew. Let me tell you, they are much clearer in their thoughts, the demons, than, than we humans are often. Even the demons knew a cheap imitation when they saw one or seven of them in this case. Acts 19, 15 to 17 says, and you can read it, the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and know about Paul. But who are you? Who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out and that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all but Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord was being magnified. Wanted to overshadow Paul and uh, show off their own power, these men ended up demonstrating Christ's power <laughs> instead. Word of what had happened spread and the people were amazed that even the demons respected Jesus. Wow. Once again, God overcame human restrictions and opened the door to victory. This happened in front of the eyes of those present in Ephesus. And now we can see also, and we've mentioned that, worldly attachment. That victory became a a kind of a turning point in the lives of many of the new believers in Ephesus, Acts 19, 18 to 19, following the passage, says many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. You know, it, become, it became open. Uh, there wasn't a shadow over it. They didn't cover it up. You see, that, because that happens far too often. They were confessing. They put it out to the public. They talked about it. Not covering up, making it a secret. No. And we need to know that. And many of those who practice magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them. Wow. I'm kind of, takes my breath away. 50,000 pieces of silver. Wow. By the way, the pieces of silver were drachmas, 
One drachma represented about a day's wage, so multiply the average daily wage in your area times 50,000 and you will have our euro equivalent. Imagine. It is beyond we can imagine. The price was very, very high. I tell you, that was an expensive fire, wasn't it? Yes, what a dazzling bonfire that most that must have been. However, an even greater fire was blazing in the in the believers' hearts as they re, uh, released their worldly attachments and committed themselves to the Lord. That happened with the Ephesians. This is why we talk about the power of God. You know, these two powers confronted each other and the power of God succeeded. Praise the Lord. When he does, we must also confess their existence. As with the Ephesians, the Holy Spirit searched out and exposes our hidden stores and worldly souvenirs. And when he does, we also must confess their existence, disclose our preoccupation with them, and then destroy them. And, and we have experienced that many a times in, while in Papua New Guinea, when things become open, you know, they came with all sorts of things, um, and, and presented it, we shoveled it out in the Pacific, you know, and, and they were set free. And it, it was, it, it cost a big price because they bought things, um, and they paid a big price, but with the changing power, they presented it before the Lord and pushed these expensive things into the Pacific, you know, just drowned, finished forever. Let me make some application in finishing. With his extraordinary power, God can make some changes in your and my life too. This is why we are here after all. If God can't change people's life, why we are here? I mean, it doesn't make sense. Here are a couple of suggestions that will room to work. First, remember, and, and I'm, you know, it, it, it doesn't come out of my mouth very easy. Remember my brother and my sister. Hardening happens slowly and silently. Sinful patterns often have their roots in our younger years, although the Holy Spirit keeps reminding, you know, steady drop hollows a stone. That's what my mom said. Um, and, and I'm presenting with that kind of human truths too many people, you know, it's steady. And, 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 it, and then, the, although the Holy Spirit keeps reminding us of them, we sometimes ignore them, and our heart hardens. 
And with each refusal, our heart becomes harder and harder so that eventually the Spirit's convictions glance off our hearts like wooden twigs sliding across a, a frozen lake. I plead with you this morning. I plead with you. Instead of turning a deaf ear, respond quickly to the Holy Spirit's prompting this morning, today. Now, I don't know you and your practices. I don't know your life and who you are at home. I don't know. Please, do deal with your sins right away. And Theo will be there. David will be there after the service. Deal with it, please. Deal with it. It is only then that your heart stays soft and sensitive. Secondly, remember, first, remember, hardening happens slowly and silently. And secondly, becoming obedient calls for a willingness of change, to change. Let me tell you, a, a soft heart stays soft when we message it, when we, sorry, when we massage it, when we wrap it, it with the oil of a willing attitude. God asks us merely to be open to his power. Remember the story of, of that young woman that I told you from uh, a story that I read recently. She came to church with a, her suicidal note already prepared. She just made one tiny step towards God. And he embraced her with his power, giving her hope. Yes, indeed, the Lord Jesus can do the same for you today. Wherever you are, that's the love and truth of the gospel. He's able to change. He can change your heart, your mind, your setup of beliefs. He can change. May I ask you personally, my brother and my sister, or wherever you are around the globe, are you willing to let him? Are you willing to let him? To live life honestly, that is the path uh, to knowing God. And as a result, it opens the path to deep inner change. However, far too many people, even Christians, do not deal honestly with their lives. They refuse to do it. There are often times some kind of wrapped in Christian cliches about the power and the word are repeated with false Christian thinking among, among people who see little evidence of its life-changing impact. It is shocking to know that the pathway to change is more discussed And debate it, then obey it. What a pitfall. More discussed, more dis debated, 
then obeyed. Honest living, rather than focusing on externals, both beneath the surface to our deepest need, our inner thirst. The more deeply we sense our thirst, the more passionately we will pursue water. Imagine a guy approaching a desert and thirsty. He will do everything, everything. To get water. And that's exactly what happens with spiritual thirst. We desire a deep approach to meet the living God. And the more clearly we recognize how we dig our own wells in search of water, the more fully we can repent of our self sufficiency and turn to God in obedient trust. I want to finish. Does you being a Christian tend more towards the cliches of the real? Have you any wells of self-sufficiency you rely on to slake your thirst? Have you been protecting or denying any hidden weaknesses rather than letting God experience? Pose and transform them. Maybe it is about time for you to have honest reflection. God, light might be glaring at first, but He's very willing to wrap us in His forgiveness and love. And into our empty hands, He places the gift of real, of real change. Often we wish God would change our circumstances and us. Circumstances, you know. But the more and precious thing if it changes us. It is easier to blame our problems on the situation, thinking that if only God could change them, we would be happy. What circumstances in your life do you wish God would change in order to bring your inner peace and happiness? God could change your circumstances with a snap of his finger. Do you, well, let's Face it, in finishing, do you need a new job? Snap. Are you in need of a new flat? Snap. Are you in need of a new relationship? Snap, 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 snap. God wants to change you first. God changes. Do you think the Lord Jesus would like to make it? In your life, if you are open to change, his strong but gentle hand will begin to soften and mold you so that you can face your circumstances in full honesty. You look at them. You don't do that, you know, and, but you look straight into the eyes of the circumstances. His changes rarely happen overnight. But the process of change 
can begin today. This is the power of God. He can start today. Lord Jesus, we are amazed about your power and how you release your power. Some things we cannot imagine. And as we read your word, there are things we are amazed and astonished. How you did that through the life of the Apostle Paul. And yet, it was your power. Lord Jesus, we want to come before you and stand before you. We realize that our heart is diverted. Our heart is sinful, stubborn. Oftentimes our mind is stubborn. And yet we know and we thank you that your love is prevailing. It is your love that brings us back to the cross. And that is your changing power, Lord. Thank you so much for the word of God. This digging deep. And with power seen and obvious. Thank you for being with us even during the coming week. So we also can look into our lives. And if needed, we can confess. Bring things to the light. In order to be set free. And that others get attracted by the changing power of the living God. We praise you and worship you for your presence and power even here today and wherever people meet around the globe. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your power never ends. It will raise us dead bodies at the last day to meet you face to face everlasting. Thank you for being with us today and forevermore in the weeks to come. Thank you that you help us and guide us to come to the light. For your glory we praise you and give you all thanks. In the name of our powerful Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Amen.